Yeah, you can learn a lot, they say, of a child in their first steps. And some children have a personality that immediately they just go for it. They'll just flop on the ground, unfazed, go try it again and try it again. Kind of a fearless personality for a child. Others will kind of skirt the furniture real slowly and real with timidity. But you can also learn a lot about a parent in that season when a child's taking their first step. Some parents early on are automatically, at least for the first child, very cautious with their arms right around them, ready to hopefully catch them before they can make contact with the ground. Other parents are just kind of sit back and let nature take its course, let them fall out naturally. In the text that Ryan Nelson read, one of our elders this morning, is this picture of Israel's first steps from captivity. And in this, we're going to observe this morning four insights that we might be able to gain in, in observing how the Lord ushers His people out. We'll see components this morning that, that give us a clarity of exactly what God's people have been saved from and a reminder in the importance of what they've been saved then to do. And then we'll observe these three components, three extra components that give us insights of how the Lord specifically leads His people. We'll ask God to give us a greater joy, a greater understanding of His Word and His faithfulness, the trustworthiness that the Lord deserves for each and every one of our lives. And if you don't yet know Christ, our hope for you would be that this day would be the day of your first steps with the Lord. So let's begin as we observe in verse 1-2 and, and as well, 11-16, through 16, that the Lord freed Israel from serving Pharaoh to serve the living God. Freed from to serve. Freed from to serve. Freed from captivity to serve. Now you'll remember as last week, we've chose to, to take with verses 3-10 through 10 with our Passover scene that we observed last week. So this morning, as we skipped over this consecration text of verse 1-2, through 2, that's what we see depicting in 11 through 16. That's why we've taken our text in the way that we have this morning. But from the first steps at the very beginning, God wants to make it clear. Consecrate to me, set apart for me, sanctify, the New American says, for me, the firstborn of the womb, of man and of beast. The very first steps out of slavery are a reminder that Israel is not freed from slavery and captivity to do whatever they want to do. That's actually not true freedom. That's freedom from one wicked master Pharaoh to serve another wicked master ourselves and Israel's selves. Rather, God reminds them at the very beginning of their first steps that they had been freed from serving Pharaoh in Egypt to come into the promised land to serve the living God. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in Israel's history, we'll note Heartache is always around the corner. After almost two generations, always, rarely is there more than two generations of faithfulness in Israel. For Israel will often forget this very lesson that Exodus depicts for us. They, they've been freed from slavery and captivity to wicked masters to serve the Lord. Yet the Hebrew Scriptures will make clear for us that fallenness and brokenness Wait for Israel whenever they decide to serve themselves. The text says it like this, the people did what was right in their own eyes. What a unique understanding. One of the worst things that God could allow us to be given over to, every one of us in this room, is that we would be able to walk by our own sight. That's what we'll wait for Israel. But God who loves them and cares for them, 
gives them the reminder of exactly what he told Moses. Do you remember? When he met with him on Mount Sinai by that fire that consumed, burned the, cloud, burned the bush but was not yet consuming the bush, he told him, you will lead my people here that they may serve me. And then God gave that same message to Pharaoh by way of Moses. Let my people go that they may go and serve me. Not that they may go and serve themselves. So on the very first steps, God makes Israel take the firstborn that God passed over. We looked at last week. He passed over them. They would have been killed just like every one of the Egyptian households that had no blood of the lamb covering their house. They're passed over not to serve their own desires, but even though there's no temple yet in Israel, they're not even in the promised land yet, they are called and commanded by God to take the firstborn and give them to the Lord. And then to redeem them back into their own households. Why? As a reminder that it's all His. Their children that have been spared the wrath of death are not spared that they may serve themselves. They're spared that they may know true life and true flourishing, which is what? To serve the Lord. The way of life for Israel to be a blessing to the nations doesn't mean just be all that they can be. It means rather to be the Lord's. To reflect the Lord's. Remember this picture. They've been freed from Egypt to come into the promised land. They've been freed from slavery in serving Pharaoh's glorious empire of Egypt to now serve the Lord Yahweh God to build His glory that will bless the nations. Pharaoh's empire will will long to strip the nations. That's how God allowed Pharaoh in Egypt ultimately originally to begin to blossom and explode in, in this great massive way. We saw the story of Joseph. This famine comes and hits the land and yet God blesses by way of Joseph through the heartache of his own brothers, and, and this great wealth comes into Egypt. Pharaoh in Egypt's kingdom was about building Egypt's glory. But Israel has been freed from serving Pharaoh and a wicked master to now serve the Lord God for His glory. And the glory of God will spill over and has always been designed to bless the entirety of the families of the earth. As believers in Christ, we've been given a commission to go and make disciples of all nations, sharing the gospel, unashamed to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And what sadness is in the life of a believer that forgets that they've been freed free from captivity to their sin and wickedness. Not to go and serve our own desires and build our own glory and our own kingdoms. Or not simply to wait and huddle until God takes us off to heaven, but rather to pour our lives out to serve the Lord God. See, every one of us in this room has been given a limited amount of time, a limited amount of financial capital and treasures, a limited number of talents. And every one of us as believers by the Holy Spirit has received giftings that will go to build up the body of Christ. Every one of us. We only have every one of those things for a season. And so we're to pour our lives out for God's glory that leads to doing the good works He's prepared for us to do. Not good works that we may gain salvation, but because we've already been delivered in what the Lord has done. Israel has already been delivered from captivity. 
They're not yet where they ultimately hope to go in the promised land, but they're delivered. And as a people delivered, they're to live lives of service for the glory of God. Consecrated to me all the firstborn. And what all this does for Israel is it's a reminder of what God has done. See, Israel is a forgetful people. I don't know if you can relate to this. Israel's a forgetful people. They will forget the severity of their slavery. Israel will forget the way that the Lord with a mighty strong hand delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And also, they will forget the Lord. But the Lord gives Israel kids. He gives them kids. And you know what kids are really good at doing? Asking questions. This is the fifth time now, fifth or sixth time that we've seen after something's taken place from the details of the Passover and all these other components of the night of watch that they were to take and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now in the very redeeming back of the firstborn that's given, back, given to the Lord, the children will look and they will say, what? Why do you do that? I know if you've ever served in our pre-K ministry with our littles, with our kids' ministry, I know you've never heard a child say, why? If you've ever been with kids, if you're a grandparent, you've never heard that. Of course you have. But part of the blessing of a reminder, what this does for us as adults, is it causes us to slow down and to re-marvel at the things we often take for granted. Part of the blessing of God generationally making Israel be fruitful and multiply is that they'll have to slow down and re-remember and not take for granted God's faithfulness. And now He delivered them from the world's superpower of Egypt without a swinging of the sword, but rather with the working and striking of God. He would lead a people out of captivity for His glory. Why? That they may serve Him. Believer, why have you been saved? God marvelously, He didn't look at us through time and say, well, they're going to have these traits. I can't wait. I need them. Rather, He will lavish His grace, His unearned favor upon us. His great and marvelous love upon us that we would be saved and be redeemed as broken sinners come to know a perfect and righteous God. And we're saved to serve. We're saved to worship and to know the Lord and to make disciples as living sacrifices for all that we are and all that we have. You are owned. If you're a believer, you are not your own. Now, if you're not a believer, you're also owned. You're owned by your flesh and your passions. You're owned, as Scripture teaches, by the God of this age. You serve Him. You may aim to be disciplined and noble in your life, but you'll never fix your depraved heart. None of us can. But in Jesus Christ alone, we can be made new. New desires, a new heart, true forgiveness and adoption, sons of righteousness. Paul makes this picture very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Many of the believers in Corinth are still they're, they're partaking with prostitutes. They're engaging in sexual and moral behavior. And God tells them these words in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. He says, through Paul, flee from sexual immorality, Christian. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's this play on of image that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Let's say it together. I am not my own. For you were bought with a price. So do what? Glorify God with your body. That's what Israel was to be as a kingdom of priests. As We'll have the literal priesthood that will soon begin. They're to honor God with all that they are. They are not their own. This, again, transitions over into the New Testament for the believer in the New Covenant. That's why Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This is good news for us. The Scriptures give this picture of the first fruits of our life. Leviticus 23 speaks of this, this first fruits offering. Pastor John, in two weeks, we're going to take a break from Exodus for our Advent series as we approach and look forward to Christmas coming. And Christmas Eve service right here at 4 will be a sweet time together. We'll have candlelight, we'll have communion together. It'll be a sweet time. But as Pastor John begins our Advent series of the story of hope, he will take us into great detail of the Cain and Abel story. And what Abel does is he offers of the first fruits to the Lord, and the Lord is pleased and receives his offering. But the story of hope from the very beginning continues on through all of Scripture and finds its yes in Christ. This often marks even the life of a believer today. The story of hope and the story of first fruits. Many believers often actually give that way in their offering and their tithes. With their financially, they set apart the very beginning as a reminder that this is the Lord's. And with our time, you think on a weekly basis of what this is, corporate worship. Any one of us could be anywhere else this morning but we've reoriented our weeks to be here, to sing His praises, to partake of His Word, and to live a life of response from this. Because it pleases the Lord. It's an act of service to the Lord. Reorients us. It's a reminder that we are His. Right? So Israel learns at the very beginning, this first idea we gained from seeing Israel's first steps. They're freed from deliverance with this act of consecration now to serve the Lord. Let's look second as we come to verses 17 and 18. That what appeared to him, to his people, as an inefficient route was actually God's protection. Moses gives us an insight that I imagine he had to tell Israel. We don't know if he explained this to Israel or not, but the fact that the text tells us this gives us, I think, an insight that the people of Israel, as they were being let out, were probably asking, Hey, uh, why are we going this way? Why are we going this way? Before garments, I don't know if you ever did this, but road trips for me, I would remember, and even still, I love my dad. My dad's probably watching right now. I love him. Didn't get his permission to say this. But my dad speaks in ways that I don't quite understand. Now, I, as a man, will pretend like I know northeast, south, and west with the best of them. Of course, just go south that way. And if I perceive you don't understand, I'm for sure going to use the cardinal directions on you to impress you. Well, my dad would say, but he would give all these directions. His mind's incredible. Go this way, go that way, go that way. And we'll come up, and the first time we come up to Missouri, the second we get there, do you know he's going to ask me? What route did you take? And I'm like, the blue one that was on my phone <laughs> got me there. He's like, did you take this route? I'm like, I don't even know how I got here. But I got here. And my dad will say, well, you should have taken this route. It's about 15 minutes faster. It's a better, more effective route. I'm like, don't talk to me, right? Talk to this thing. And can you imagine in Israel with hundreds of thousands of people 
thousands upon thousands of people. The, the, the belief of what would be a more effective route to the promised land, the land of the Canaanites, that God promised to Abraham, the forefather. And so here, Moses gives us the reason. Why did they not go by way of the Philistines? So if you remember, here's Egypt down here. Here's the promised land up here. And they got the land of the Philistines right over here, north of the Red Sea. And the Philistines are another power. They have an incredible military force. And a matter of fact, we know that the Philistines regularly went in and attacked Egypt and pillaged them often. There was this constant clashing taking place. And so the question is, why not, if you're being led free from captive, especially if many of them are in northern Egypt already, many of the Israelites, why not just go right through here along this common trade route and get up to the promised land? But instead, the scripture tells us that the Lord led them down through the wilderness down here, over by the Red Sea. It doesn't make sense. It's not effective. And why? Certainly the people were probably wondering, why are we going this direction? Why not the trade route? Why not this way? Why does God tell them this? For God said, let the people, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. Israel didn't know their hearts very well. Don't we all like to imagine that we would just perform awesome under pressure? We say, I would do it this way. Great leaders will long to know the people they lead. We say it like this, it's been said like this, good shepherds smell like sheep. They're around their people. They long to try to know them and know their instincts. But God doesn't have to aim to know our instincts or our heart, does He? He judges not merely the outward, He knows our inward. And the picture here is that we're told very early from the first steps of Israel, He knows their heart better than they do. And what they think would be a much better route, that effective, efficient route through through up there through the, the Philistine army, would lead them at the side of battle to turn around and run back into Egypt, right into slavery. Do you think it's possible that God still answers our prayers sometimes with no or not yet and chooses to take us in inefficient routes because He knows our hearts better than we do? Do you think that still happens on a regular basis? For the, for the child that prays for their parent or grandparent that they would know Christ. There's many college students that have that exact prayer as they prepare for Thanksgiving to go back. Many of them will go into homes that do not know the Lord. And many of you that are parents and grandparents, some of your kids will come back and they don't know the Lord. Or many of your family don't. And we'll pray, Lord, why not this route? Why not this route? Or we'll just have burdens upon our hearts. We'll say, why not this case? Why not this case? be it sickness or be it any other situation of heartache. And we constantly pray and we seek the Lord in these things. And yet we're reminded here in these first steps that what often may appear as an inefficient route of the Lord is better for us than we can ever perceive. Isn't that the goodness of our God? That He knows our hearts this well. That God will use His people. We'll know in history, why not the Philistines? Why not just run the route that's set before them? Well, we know that the Philistines will have a different purpose. God will use the Philistines later on in the time of Israel, and Israel will not be obedient in wiping them out. They'll be a thorn in Israel's side as a sign of disobedience against them. And God has brought the time of judgment. We're not going to read it, but write down Genesis chapter 15. It's a reminder of the text in which Abraham asked God, why can't I now go into the promised land? And God tells them there's yet 400 years of judgment 
400 years of sin that the Canaanites will partake of. And what God's going to do in the meantime, this is incredible, is He allows His people, even in slavery, to grow into this giant multitude that God will divinely use to bring as a hammer of judgment against the fallen pagans that live in the promised land at this time. But the Philistines are not in the promised land yet, so they're not, they're not the act of judgment that God will use Israel for. He works all these purposes in ways we can never understand in the time, but He's faithful. So beloved, do you believe that what appears to His people is an inefficient route is indeed often actually God's protection? Because it is. As we go on to verse 19 and 20, we remember and we're reminded that when God's people keep their word, they best image, they best reflect, they best embody their faithful God, particularly in urgent situations. When life gets urgent, how do you behave? How do you behave when things become scarce? Time becomes scarce. When life begins to get urgent, how do you behave? And what often happens, and, and to be effective, right, we have to look, okay, this is the essentials, this is what I have, everything else has to get cut off. But the believer doesn't have that option. See, we serve, and Israel's told, as they're, they're the firstborn of the Lord, that they're to reflect, and God created us to reflect the Lord. So, Oftentimes, in urgent situations, our, our, our faithfulness to our word often gets cut. Lying or deceiving or whatever it is may be, we'll say, well, I just have to do that. I don't have a choice. And even though they're in an urgent situation with the Philistine army to the north and a grieving Egypt army right behind them to the west, they must keep their word. And in keeping their faithful word, that they gave to Joseph hundreds of years earlier, that when you go to the promised land, Israel, you take my body with you. At the end of Genesis, we're told that Joseph, he dies, and it's like they mummify him. Even though they got all this urgency going on, even though probably all the excuses in the world are firing off in the brain. If I was there, I've got to be honest, I would be thinking, like, do we have time for this right now? Like, if we don't go, our bones are going to be here too. Nobody's going to be there to take us. When we get urgent situations, where in your life do you most quickly want to rationalize disobedience to the Lord? And every one of us in this room has a different spot that comes into mind. Whether it's being short with our kids, whether it's cutting corners on our taxes, whatever, whatever it is, there is areas where we're tempted to compromise being faithful. Because in a world that is images the father of lies, believers who are faithful to their word will shine beautifully. Marriages that long for faithfulness. Businesses that, that long to act faithfully. All the different components that you think. An individual that longs to be a faithful employee. That longs to honor the Lord in what they're doing. They will stick out. And Israel here sticks out. They're faithful to what the Lord has set before them. They do exactly what, when you first read it, verse 19 and 20 sounds like it doesn't belong there, doesn't it? 
Because the, the pace of the narrative is picking up. It'd be like if we're watching a movie and, and the, the noise is getting louder and louder, the, the action's in, intensifying, and then all of a sudden, boom, 1920, then they went, Moses went, took the body of Joseph and took him out of the land. You're like, what? That doesn't fit right here. But it does. Because God remembered Joseph. And Israel remembers Joseph. Listen, beloved, aren't you glad that God always remember His Word. Aren't you glad that He's faithful to His Word? Who else is more worthy of your anxiety this morning? Of your sin? Of your guilt? Of your shame? Who keeps their Word better than the Lord? He remembers Joseph in the urgent times. In Israel, He leads Moses to go and take his body out and toward the promised land. You say, well, I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel this components. Look at what God's Word says. He's faithful. And this is so cool. Listen to this. Because, believer, you've trusted Christ. The Lord looks at us, not with some, yeah, I really see it that way, but He truly looks at us as righteous and a faithful people, of redeemed people. Because Christ's righteousness has been accounted to our accounts. We are faithful. We're a faithful people. And when we act faithfully, we best reflect who we truly are and whose we truly are. And right here in the midst of the drama of the urgency of the story, we're reminded that God faithfully keeps His Word. Just as verse 11 told us God keeps His Word, boom, 19 and 20, Israel keeps their word to Joseph. Isn't God good? The faithful God's worthy of our praise. And finally in verse 21 and 22, There is no safer place to be than the presence and the will of God. And the Lord Yahweh, He went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. What a comforting component. Why did He give them light? That they may travel by day and by night. And the way the Passover was taken, we saw exactly how they ate of it. Everything ready and dressed to leave. And leaving they are doing. By day and by night, everyone's going out. Now the Lord, there's not, he's not, there's not two. There's not a separate a cloud and, a, and, a, uh, and then a, a pillar of fire at night. It's the same Lord. It's the same Yahweh God is leading them in this way. And think of if you're Israel, how comforting this would be. To this point, The Lord has only appeared to Moses as that fire in that burning bush scene, that burning but not consumed bush. Do you remember that back in Exodus 3? We talked about it six years ago. And now all of Israel is able to see, indeed, Moses is being led of the Lord. There he is. Manifesting his presence by fire and by cloud serving the anxiety of His people and leading them away from the enemy behind them. Their old slave-bound home. Now what's interesting here is that peace belongs to Israel because they're in the presence of the Lord. They're not yet where they want to be. They're not yet in the promised land. a matter of fact, they're in the wilderness. 
they're, they're in a very vulnerable space. They could not be in a more vulnerable place. But at the same time, they couldn't be in a more safe place than in the presence of the Lord. He leads them and He's with them. He doesn't outpace them, but He's with them. Do you believe it's true, believer, that there's no more safe place than you could be than in the hand and will of God? That's a reality for our missionaries that are overseas and some in very dangerous countries. There's no safer place for you or I to be than to be obedient and rest in the hand of the Lord. Whether it's an anxious conversation in which we're called to share our testimonies, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, an opportunity with family around the table, side conversations that may flow, to abide in the leading of the Spirit, to take courage. You say, but what could happen to that relationship? There's no safer place for that relationship to be than you resting in the hand of the Lord. There's no safer and better place for you to be in life than in the hand and the way of the Lord. That's what Israel sees. We'll talk more about that in greater detail next week. But I want you to do in your Bibles, I want you to flip over to John chapter 16. As you turn to John chapter 16, we're going to be in verse 29. We're going to camp a little bit on verse 33. But it's a great reminder of what Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us, the eternal Son who came and took on flesh, sent from the Father. Jesus did all the will of the Father. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Learning obedience. And here He is preparing in this way before the crucifixion will take place. Listen to what he tells his disciples. His disciples look at Jesus and they say, after he explains, without using parables, he explains it. And he says, ah, they say, ah, Jesus, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. What? They're about to be scattered. But his disciples may have peace. Why? For in the world you will have tribulation. That doesn't sound like a peace-giving situation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. The presence of the Lord with His people brings them peace in the face of tribulation. We see that with the disciples. We see that with Israel here in the Exodus in their first steps. And believer, we have this, for Jesus Christ would be handed over. He would lay His life down on the cross as a Christ sacrifice. He would be buried and raised on the third day. He'd minister to His people the Word. He would ascend to heaven. He intercedes for us. And the Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but He also brings us to life. He regenerates us. He takes the dead heart and brings it to life. And believers all across the world have been coming to faith in Jesus Christ, repenting and trusting Him. And the Holy Spirit, listen, 
God does not lead us by a pillar of fire in the morning. There's not some Holy Spirit parking lot outside, right? This pillar of fire that led us here right in front of our car. Oh, that's how I got here. Rather, the Holy Spirit dwells where, believer? Upon your conversion, the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. He lives within us. And as one who lives within us, He is a guarantee of our inheritance of what is to come. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says exactly this. Listen to these words and consider the comparison between Israel in the Exodus, waiting for the promised land, and the believer today who has the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, awaiting for the promised full inheritance that is to come. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, In Jesus we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Why? so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, believer, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Both Israel, led free from captivity, though not yet in the promised land, the very presence of the Holy Spirit by pillar of fire at night and cloud by day is a promised guarantee that He will keep His Word and deliver Him there. No matter what the enemy to the north or the sea to the east looks like, He is faithful. Trust His ways because He keeps His Word. And the believer who has the Holy Spirit, no matter the circumstances that are befalling you right now in your life, He will keep his word. He will see you faithfully to the gates of glory. He will convict us and comfort us. He's prepared good works for us to do joyfully. He's not given us the influence in the situations and circumstances by accident. So we can walk in them with good courage. No matter the urgency of our life, we get to reflect the Lord who is faithful. Amen? Amen. Faithful faithful. This morning, I want to tell you, if you don't know Christ, we'll have leaders up here to pray with you at the service, but it's as simple as this. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Every person in this room. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. John the Baptist, when he looked at Jesus coming, he looked at him and said something that no one has ever said to you in your life. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Why did he say that? Because only Jesus Christ is righteous. Only Jesus Christ is holy and pure. Only Jesus Christ's blood will pay for the severity and reality of your sin before a holy God. But if you will but believe upon Jesus... And confess Him as Lord. Believing that Jesus died and rose again from the grave. Committing your life over to Him. Jesus said, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus this day. Profess your faith in Him with your lips. And trust in Him with your heart. He's a perfect Savior. Faithful to His Word to forgive you. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's good news this morning. That's why we sing as a church. Because we have something we're singing about. And we're singing to the very One that rescued us as a choir to the Lord. Is He worthy of our praise? He is. 
as we come to our next steps in this way, and I want to encourage you, if it's a little intimidating to come and talk to us in person, you take that Connect card, you write on it, I want to know more about Christ. I want to follow Christ. You place it in an offering box on your way. We will check that and meet with you and follow the command that God has given us to make disciples and involve you in this process because the Lord desires you to be a disciple maker for the glory of God. When we come to our next steps, I phrased it in a very simple way. Would you consider examining your best with an open hand to the Lord? What's your best? What's your best? Whatever your best is, whatever the things that have your heart and your priorities, and you look at, you give a life assessment of your skills, all those things. Would you just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, would you, would you help me to do this? Would you help me to do this? Because I think stresses and urgencies cause us to do what with our best? So would you just simply ask the Lord this week, ask the Holy Spirit today, Lord, would you search my heart for the best? Because you're worthy of it. And be obedient to Him as He leads you this week. He's worthy of our best in every conversation. He's worthy of our best with all that we have. The second, we realize this simple equation. As believers in Christ, the Spirit indwells us. We know the truth that the victory is the Lord's. Israel sees this unfolding. And third, He has intentionally numbered our days. So the question becomes, and the charge becomes, let's make disciples with all that we have and all that we are until He calls us home. What a privilege. How good is God that He's bound us together? Look around the room. How good is God that He gives us a people to lock arms with for the mission before us? And we get to go this week in every one of our unique neighborhoods to live in response to His Word. Every unique class, middle school student, high school student, college student, every community, every area, every line that we wait in, an opportunity to live in response to whatever the Lord has placed upon our mind by the working of His Word. He's worthy of our song. He's worthy. Would you rise together now as we tell him this truth? Indeed, he is worthy.